Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. It's more than just a podcast. It's a source of insights to keep you tapped into all things data-driven so that you can be the most informed technical expert in the virtual room. Listen in weekly to stay educated on the latest trends in backup, recovery, storage, cloud, and security. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode of Data Protection Gumbo, I have a conversation with Patrick Clausen, CEO at Resurface, an API system of record that turns every API call into a durable transaction. Uh, Pat is also a serial cybersecurity CEO and board member. Now, in this episode, we discuss the importance of API security, why you should capture real API traffic data for insights into attacks and threats, and also making sure your APIs are locked down. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Pat, welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. How are you today? I am fantastic, and thank you for having me. Yes, I am really looking forward to hearing some of your insights. But before we jump in and get started, why don't you give the Gumbo listeners a brief rundown of yourself and also resurface? You got it. Me, I'm a cybersecurity executive for about 21, 22 years. I started off running a layer seven firewalling company, so very much a gateway solution. That was called CyberGuard. And then went into running an endpoint security platform, which was called Lumension. After Lumension, we went into data protection. So I started and built up a business that was called the Blanco Technology Group, which is on data end of life. Then I had another fun turn and I went in and ran a dark web monitoring company called Terbium Labs that we evolved into a broader digital risk protection space. And I've uh, sat on a couple boards of some fun companies like Prolexic and DDMZ along the way and in others internationally. And here I am today at a very cool company called Resurface in an emerging space, which is API security. All right. I, I love it. I love it. And so so you mentioned API security. And when when we talk about APIs, how important are APIs in today's data-driven world, Pat? Yeah, it's, they're incredibly important. And like a lot of things in security, the, the technology makes an advancement and then we figure out how to make it safe. So APIs have been coming on strong for a lot of years. Most of the analyst firms have been talking about their lack of security around APIs since about 2018. So we're a good four or five years into that push now. The consequences is that API companies have been started to grow. I mean, those are around security. Why? I think about two years ago, Akamai said that 83% of all web traffic now went through APIs. And then there's a balancing quote from one of the other analyst firms that said, as of this year, only 11% of companies have done anything about securing their APIs. So you've got this massively growing issue of APIs driving most of our traffic. And at the other side, we aren't really protecting them yet. That's kind of the, the bookend things that make the most sense to me. Okay, awesome. So. API security and just number one, making sure that, because I look at APIs as the, I guess, the gateway into a modern day way of tapping into your business applications and any any systems that you're running 
for your organization or your business uh, as far as whether you're selling things, et cetera. And APIs are on the back end speaking the language to pull information out and to send information in. And there's a lot of uh, volume, velocity, and variety of data uh, that APIs allow to flow freely. So what do you think is the most important thing around just APIs and keeping the API security top-notch of utmost uh, importance? Yeah, it's it's probably the age-old argument, and that argument is having security built into the software development process as opposed to an after-the-fact, right? And um, a lot of APIs are built for function, they're built for purpose, they're built for revenue, they're built for growth, ease of use, but they don't always necessarily have security built into that coding process. And so part of what our us API security companies are trying to do now is allow companies to test their APIs against an API security platform before they take them live, which is not quite as good as having it built in from, you know, code minute one, but it's a it's a it's a way to get a sense of how secure you are before you open up to the rest of the world. Okay. Okay. And I'm just curious, why did you choose API security? There, there had to be something that, that you saw was worth, you know, digging into and spending the, the time and the research in order to, you know, go down this path. Yeah, you know, as, a, as an exec, you, you make your decisions about joining companies a lot like investors do, right? You have to sit down, you have to look at the market, the opportunity, the, the technology itself. And when I was doing that, I was talking to everybody that I could talk to from a research analyst perspective to a financial analyst and then reaching out to prospective customers. And really, the reality is, is that it has APIs have exploded and the pandemic only helped that more people are home, more apps are being used. The switch over to 5G with the with the telcos is an API switch. So they're consuming us but they're not well protected yet. And I think it's that bottom end quote that I got that only 11% of companies have done anything about protecting them. And within these APIs, we see everything. And NIST has done a really good job of providing API guidelines, things we need to be thinking about in terms of how do we protect our APIs. And they've got their identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover, um, which is both technology and process. But businesses haven't done a good job of that yet. And for me, that that tells me that there's a wide open market opportunity. There's the ability to get in there and really grow a company from the very bottom in a new and emerging space that's happening. And it's very real within within the security landscape. So I just think it's an incredible opportunity and I'm just happy to be a part of it. Yeah, I think so as well. And it, it reminds me of Thomas Friedman's book. I think that's his name. Um, the world is flat. <laughs> and, and that was the concept with, I guess, the Internet kind of leveled the playing field. Now anyone can have access to to any type of data that they like, whether you're whether you're in India or you're in China or you're in the U.S., everyone can connect in. Um, and as a result, the, the pandemic proved that we can all work from home and do our Zoom calls and continue to be productive, even though there are some conversations nowadays that's you know, trying to bring everyone back into the office. But overall, though, I really want to find out from you what are kind of some of the technology differences out there. And, you know, what should 
gumbo listeners and specifically, let's say, CIOs or maybe CISOs be thinking about when choosing a solution to protect their APIs? That's a, it's a great question. And, you know, we as vendors do our best to muddle it for you. So it's hard for you to understand anything other than what we're trying to pitch. But if you think about it, you're a company someplace in the world and you've got APIs that are out there. The first thing that I think it's important that CISOs understand is that you're not alone in not knowing exactly how many APIs you have running in your infrastructure or what their call volume is or what are north and south, which are your external or east and west, which are your internal APIs. You're often part of people have left the company. Um, there have been M&A involved. You don't actually know it perfectly what that environment looks like. So a vendor should help you with that. I think that's the first thing. When you think about a vendor relationship in this space, there's three main buckets of, of, of things to think about at, at a high level. The first one is standing up the platform. You're not connected to anything yet, but is it easy to work with your vendor to get a platform up and running? The second is, okay, how do I capture my API call data? Is your vendor offer you a lot of solutions? Do they have automated toolkits or plugins or tools that allow you to connect into your network layer or your your api gateways or your whatever wherever that api traffic may exist and then on the back end so now you're captured and your platform's doing its thing it's creating alerts does your vendor have the the ai in the platform to anonymize what needs to be anonymized can you curate the alerts so you don't create alert fatigue but then what do you do with those alerts? Do you have the ability to affect remediation when you find slow performing APIs or you find actual attacks happening? So those are kind of the big buckets to think about. Now the next layer down. For an API security platform to truly be helpful, they need to see your API traffic in totality. And you not need to know how to do that both legally and safely. And when you do that, you wanna be able to see all your API traffic unencrypted and unredacted in runtime. So there's two ways API vendors will work with you. One is you're doing that in a third party environment, which is a little bit risky, probably violates, definitely violates some GDPR, or you can do it first party. So in the client's own cloud environment. So they're never sharing that data in a third party. So that's kind of a structural, you got to think about that because there is exposure if you're going to allow that to happen in a third party environment. So I'm curious here, like, I don't want to paint this as doom and gloom, but what if someone wasn't like protecting or aware that they needed to, that traffic that's coming in through the APIs? Like what, what is like one thing that could happen? I, I know you probably, you know, you could be, I know ransomware is out there and I know that there's malicious attacks and you have, you know, these types of um, cybersecurity breaches, et cetera. Is, is it anything else that's out there that maybe the listeners don't know if they don't have some type of API security set up on, on, on their particular workloads? Yeah. I mean, they're all the normal style attacks and clearly we list them that are happening actively within the API infrastructures. So we deploy a lot of honeypots and part of why we deploy honeypots is so that we can educate those people who have APIs but don't necessarily understand the level of attack traffic. I think Gartner a couple of years ago said that 
malicious API traffic dwarfed legitimate API traffic. So that was a very macro statement, but they wanted people to understand that what's going on within your APIs is not always what you want. I think this year they said it would be the number one attack vector in 2022. When we run our honeypots, I can tell you that something like 85% of all the traffic within those honeypots is malicious traffic. So your APIs are exposed, they're out there. They're able to be discovered. And then all kinds of nasty little bot style tools are out there trying to poke holes and see what, you know, what they can take advantage of within, within your traffic. So thinking about it a little bit further too, don't oversimplify API security. It's not gonna be handled from the position of a WAF. It's not gonna be handled from the position of an API gateway. The pure vendors sit after those products and between, the, between them and the microservices. So that's in the zone of the unknown. And the reason, and think about the Peloton attack, somebody, somebody accessed with valid user credentials and then did malicious behavior afterwards. So it's past those gateway style solutions. It's actually within the operating APIs themselves that you have to watch for malicious behavior. And NIST does a really good job, guys, at breaking it down into, I'll super high level it and paraphrase it. You have known attack types that you need to be prepared for, but then also anomalies. And anomalies, anomalies are future attack types. It can be a slow performing uh, API, and that is an indicator of uh, you know, future DDoS attack as an example, right? Somebody's gonna take advantage of that when they find it. So be thinking about what you're doing, where you wanna see and what you wanna prevent. And APIs, there's a lot of your very important businesses traveling through them right now. Got it, got it, makes sense. And you, you mentioned NIST a couple of times and the the framework that, that NIST provides, the way they, they operate. Uh, or the way that you should operate as as someone who is trying to protect your your environment and your APIs and just all all of the data that's sitting behind those APIs. Are, are there any third party guidelines that that listeners can refer to? I know you mentioned NIST. Are there any others? You know, not that I'm really big on supporting yet. I know the analyst firms are kind of getting there, and I expect 2023 you'll see some people publishing it. But that's why I emphasize this. I think they're good, they're globally recognized, and they boil it down. I mean, I started talking about this a little bit earlier, but the first step within NIST is the ability to identify, right? And it's before you start detecting uh, alerts that may be going, things that may be happening, it's can you provide your prospect or your customer with the ability to completely identify their API infrastructure? Do I know what my call volume is? And for most of the people that we plug into, this is the first time they've ever had that snapshot of the totality of their API call volume and the outcomes, what's successful, what's a malformed, what's an actual attack, what's a client error. So they can begin triaging those and having a logical approach to remediating the issues that are arising, right? It's that first step, that identification step is one of the most powerful things that anybody trying to get into the API world can take advantage of. It's actually knowing. And maybe maybe going back a, a brief history lesson around um, continuous API scanning. What what is that? I, does it is that exactly what it sounds like, and, and why is that important? Yeah. So, and again, there's kind of an earlier snippet on this, and there's there's we're very big believers in the continuous API scanning. And think of it this way: traditionally, you'll hire a pen testing firm to come test your APIs 
once or twice a year with the synthetic data. What continuous API scanning is you're, you've got that security camera looking at your unencrypted, unredacted API traffic in runtime in your environment, never in a third party. You're looking at it in your environment. So you're seeing when things happen and you can alert quickly so that you can remediate quickly and eliminate that lag time of six months till you figure it out, right? So it is actually being in control of the quality and the security of your API infrastructure in runtime. And I will emphasize to people, you have to do that in a first party or in your own controlled cloud environment. The other thing that helps you do, which is cool, is you can build a data lake of your API traffic, for example, over a 30-day period. And when the next log4j pops up, you can query that data lake and, and for that new zero-day style attack, which APIs have been impacted, if any, where. So you can prioritize your remediations instead of just not knowing. So it's having control. It's a very simple, very straightforward way of having control of the quality and the security of your API traffic and infrastructure. And what's on the horizon? What, what are you seeing with, with API security? Is, is that, does that encompass AI and ML or anything else cool that, that, that you see will continue to kind of catapult API security to the forefront? Yeah, it, it, it manifests itself in a couple of ways. One, when you have data lakes like that, there's a lot, of, the lot you can do with AI and ML. Part of it is on uh, you know, uh, intelligence around what's happening, being able to predict what co what's coming next based on the behavior you're seeing within that data. Part of it is, you know, good old fashioned machine learning when you're figuring out how to alert on certain, you know, styles of attacks. Because sometimes when these attacks come in, and, and it's important to know that when they come in, they come in at very high volumes. Like if you get a restricted file attack that's happened over a million times in the last day within your API infrastructure, no one wants a million emails, right? It's how do you take that, break it into something that makes sense so that you can deliver it both to the administrators of the platform, but also to the third-party platforms that are going to help you remediate that style of an attack as efficiently as possible. So yeah, a lot of a lot of future benefit coming from AI, a lot of just practical use behind ML. And then it's Maybe API security platforms aren't the final owners of that data. Are you sending that data off to other SEM platforms or SORT platforms for them to do work with as well? Because there's a lot of dimensionality you have behind these attacks. It's just the, the amount of information is amazing that other people can use to predict other bad forms of behavior. Okay, got it, got it. And what, so what, what does your day look like when, when you are, let, let's say it's a typical week and you have a, I don't know, what, what does a day in the life look like for, for Pat? So operationally, it's um, probably what you'd expect. You know, we have some pretty tight KPIs around the things that mean the most to us. You wake up, you catch up, and then you're right into the numbers, right? Your, your revenue generating engine down to the very most basic, how many calls are each person making a day? What's the team doing? What are the outputs? So that you know that you're driving in the right direction to to achieve your revenue goals uh, we have a team meeting with our team leads every day talking about where we are new competitive things that are happening what should we be thinking about and you know planning those things forward a good portion of the day is in prospecting customer calls you know staying very much in direct contact um, and then working with advisors people that are our advisors around the world 
that are also seeing things that they think we should be thinking about because they're they're popping up in the Middle East or they're popping up in the APAC or wherever that might be. So it's a constant interaction with with customers and prospects and advisors. But saying super focused on our internal KPIs right out of the gate, cup of coffee and KPIs. What are we doing to, to get the job done? Like we said, we said like we said we were going to do it. Okay, awesome. And and are, are there any light bulb moments when when you're having conversations with CISOs and and CIOs around API security? Like anything that that just pops in their head to say, "Wow, I did not know that." And just because you informed me of that and you educated us on this, then I think that this is something we should act upon. Yeah, again, this thing, I'm a little bit repetitious, but almost everyone we talk to, if I don't know them personally, haven't worked with them over the years, they don't want to let us know that they don't know exactly what their API infrastructure is. So when they see a dashboard of one of these tools that does the identify according to NIST, they their ability to actually know is pretty powerful because that allows them to start to make decisions about what they do next. I think that's always been a big lightning bulb moment. I think the other one is having the ability to do it in runtime, which you know completely unredacted and unencrypted means that they need to do it in their environment, but they can. I think that's another thing. They can actually do it simply in their environment and that's the best place to have the best access to data, I think has been really telling. And then the, the volume of, of attack traffic has been another holy cow moment for a lot of these guys. They just haven't been worried about it because they've had other priorities, but it's forcing them now to think about what the 2023 budget looks like because it's so real and they know what would happen if any of their major APIs had to shut down because of the attack volume. So yeah, those are kind of the three big things that stand out every time we're talking to people. Okay, awesome. And what what are you reading nowadays that the Gumbo listeners would probably be interested in? Uh, good question. I'm working on a book right now by Steve Preda called Pinnacle: The Five Principles That That Take Your Business to the Top of the Mountain. You know, that's just a, a constantly keeping your brain thinking about different things. I always drive people back to spin selling and strategic selling. I think they have some really good high level. Yeah, they forever they're forever good at keeping you focused on like one concept of what is you know uh, implicit versus an explicit need and our sales teams often get focused on things they hear but you have to take an implicit versus an explicit an explicit is what that prospect is telling you they gotta have and they're never going to invest without it and implicit is that those that would be nice to have you know we we have happy years we hear everything but Internally, we have to focus. Otherwise, you're not really solving your client problem. So I love those two books, but I like Pinnacle's a good new one I'm working on right now. Okay, awesome. And one, one final question for you. I, I, I love to, to ask this question because I have college-age daughters. Um, one graduated last year, and I have a, a sophomore at, at my, my alma mater, Tennessee State University. And I always like to elicit advice for college students that are graduating soon, what, what advice would you give them, Pat? A couple of things. I can't emphasize enough the importance of internships. All your universities have the ability to help place you with internships. A lot of the state governments help support that with funding for the businesses, but get yourself plugged in. 
Companies like to hire from that role. It's a great place for you to get in and learn and get experience, whether you're learning sales tools like Salesforce or HubSpot, you know, like CRM style platforms, or you are learning marketing platforms like a Marketo. You know, you're, you're getting hands on and you're ready to go. And you're also taking it from the completely theoretical into what actually happens within a work environment. You're so much better off whether you work for that company or another. Please give yourself that opportunity. But I also want to encourage business owners to do the same thing. A lot of folks don't think about the value of the interns that come in. It's low cost. You get to sense the quality of the people. You get to train them and see if that's somebody you want to bring on. And again, a lot of the states actually reimburse companies for hiring university students students in internship programs. So I think that's an incredibly valuable tool. I did not know that. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I also believe in internships as well. And that is, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today if I didn't have an internship because I'm sure my trajectory would have probably went in a different direction because I had that experience before I, I graduated when I started having conversations with IBM. So I, I completely agree with that, Pat. And uh, I, I really want to thank you for appearing on Data Protection Gumbo. So thank you for being on the podcast, Pat. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking the time with me. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search Backup and Recovery Professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.